Good morning, and thank you for having me here this morning to speak to you. Um, it's a real privilege to be here as the third sermon in the um, series on prayer. We're going to be dealing with worship in prayer. Just uh, so that you know what I'm doing here while I'm here in Claygate, Linda did explain why I was here, but we, uh, we're on placement for um, three months, and during that time we're what's called a participant observer, and we're supposed to be observing things that are happening in the parish here and learning from those, and particularly picking on one thing that happens here in Claygate, which I'll then have to write a reflection on and how that could inform um, my own ministry in my own parish, which is St. Martin of Tours in Epsom. So let's start with the prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some psychologists entertain the idea that the main personality traits of human beings are all found in the characters that inhabit the Winnie the Pooh stories of A.A. Milne. There is the unflagging, energetic enthusiasm of Tigger, the timidity and naivety of Piglet, the wisdom and authority of Owl, and the slow but benevolent nature of Pooh himself. And then there is Eeyore, the depressed, gloomy, pessimistic, old grey donkey whose favourite food is thistles. I imagine that we can all think of someone we know who could be described as an Eeyore, and perhaps there are times when we felt a little bit like Eeyore ourselves. But today's reading tells us to rejoice always, at all times, to dispel any Eeyore-like thoughts and rejoice. Is this really possible? Surely we face threats and challenges that make such perpetual rejoicing difficult. So what does St Paul mean when he tells us to rejoice always? Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, which was the first Christian community in mainland Greece. We know quite a lot about his relationship with the church there from Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 12. You can look it up in your pew Bibles if you wish to. It's page 1111 and 1112. There we hear how Paul, travelling with Silas, converts and baptises Lydia and her household, and how he orders a malicious spirit out of a female slave. We also hear how this attracted the attention of the authorities. At verse 22 we read, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this was clearly a bad situation for Paul and Silas, imprisoned and in pain in a hostile city. But they showed no sign of despair or hopelessness as the passage continues. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Their reaction to their serious problem was to pray. And not just to pray about their situation, but rather to sing hymns, to worship God, and their prayers were answered in a most miraculous way. Those reading Paul's letter for the first time would have known all about these events. They will have known precisely how Paul and Silas behaved when faced with serious adversity. And they will have known about the miraculous response to their worship. But it is also clear that the young church in Philippi was undergoing some form of persecution and disunity. Paul, himself once again in prison, as he explains in chapter 1, is writing to help them through this situation. And much of his advice throughout the letter tells them to rejoice. This is not Paul telling the church at Philippi to ignore their problems, to smile through gritted teeth and to get on with life. Such advice would just be unrealistic and unsustainable. It would ignore the fact that there is sadness and conflict in our lives. We know from the Gospels that even Jesus got angry and that as he approached his death, he wept. Sadness and disappointment are real. They're part of our shared human experience. St Paul's actions in Philippi, singing hymns whilst in prison, and his words in this letter tell them specifically to rejoice in the Lord always. It is in the Lord that this joy has its home, not in ourselves. He's asking us to rejoice in the blessings that come from God, not in our own wealth, strength or pleasure. Because we all have so much to thank God for, even when difficult situations might threaten to overwhelm us. When we're young, we can thank God for the bright prospect of the future. But when older, we can give thanks for the length of our life. When healthy, we can thank God for our great physical blessings. And when ill, we can thank God for the wise doctors and nurses that care for us and the love of our friends and family. At a time of loss, we can thank God for the blessings that we retain. And in death, we can thank God for the promise of eternal life. There is always a good reason to thank God. Paul's message, rejoice in the Lord, is not entirely new. Look, for example, at the prophet Jeremiah, so unpopular that he was literally thrown into a pit because the people didn't want to listen to him. His prayer in chapter 32, which you can look up if you want to in your pew Bibles or page 794, starting at verse 17, doesn't begin by outlining the problems he's going through, but starts instead with a shout of praise. This is how Jeremiah starts his prayer. Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes 
and mighty are your deeds. And from there, his praises continue to flow. Through worship, Jeremiah is placing his problems within the bigger context of God's great works and thereby placing them in a new perspective, placing them within the vastness of God. Many of us are reading Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, and following the prayer course in small groups. And P Pete Gregg describes this prayerful worship as recontextualizing our own crises in the bigger narrative of God. Worship creates a proper relationship between us and our loving God. It enables us to enjoy his presence. Pete Gregg writes, like an eagle soaring, a horse galloping, or a salmon leaping, worship is the thing God has designed you to do. Taken overall, today's reading might just sound like a series of unrelated pieces of good advice for the church in Philippi designed to finish off the letter neatly. But it's also possible to see the few verses that follow the instruction to rejoice as an explanation of how and why this rejoicing in the Lord is important. And their implication for our lives is immense. Paul explains that to rejoice in the Lord is to look beyond ourselves and towards God, to place our worries, and concerns within his larger perspective. He then tells us to be gentle, to treat one another with kindness and thoughtfulness in confidence that the Lord is by our side and working with us. And he goes on to say, stop being anxious, but instead offer up prayer, explaining that in doing this, we should be thankful looking to our blessings before offering our requests or petitions to God. He tells us to replace our anxieties with prayer, casting anxiety and prayer as opposites. Through such prayer comes the peace of God that will restore and strengthen us. This reads like Paul's grand plan for conflict resolution equally applicable to the problems of the individual and the problems of the world. And it starts with worshipping God. What is clear is that from worship comes peace, release from all anxiety. In the musical The King and I, Anna Leon Owens famously tells her son to whistle a happy tune and he won't be afraid. But we know that any peace that that brings won't really last. The Monty Python team sing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, offering unrelenting optimism as a practical mantra for living, and thereby willfully ignoring the genuine problems of the world. There's also a famous anonymous quotation that goes, Don't tell me that worry doesn't do any good. The things I worry about just don't happen. Instead of these approaches... Paul is telling us to offer our worries to God in prayer. And in this way, we will see the bigger picture and be relieved of their burden. He's echoing David in the Psalms, who sang, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And he's recalling the words of Jesus to his disciples. 
do not let your hearts be troubled. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is a message that we need to hear. The Charity Mind reports that a quarter of the UK population will experience a mental health problem each year. And it also reports that the way people cope with these problems is changing, with rising numbers of people who self-harm or have suicidal thoughts. Their figures show that around a fifth of the population of England receives treatment for some form of anxiety or depression. The Mental Health Foundation reports that mental health problems are one of the main causes of the overall disease burden worldwide and one of the main drivers of disability, particularly among those in their 20s. Major depression is the second largest cause of disability worldwide. Our world desperately needs hearts and minds to be filled with the peace of God. Last week, Linda read from Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible, The Message. His translation of today's reading into everyday contemporary language is also very useful. It goes like this. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. Being like Eeyore, focusing only on our problems or the problems of the world, saps our energy and diminishes our lives. But looking to God and worshipping him by offering thankful prayers for his many blessings can restore and renew us every day. Where there's no God, there's no peace. But to know God is to know peace.